Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Brisbane, Australia. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Growing up, Hannah Clark was as driven as they come. She swam, ran cross-country, dabbled in DJing, and according to the Daily Mail, was even school captain of her college. That's essentially like being class president in the U.S., but way cooler because it's for the entire school. Hannah's drive wasn't something she did to impress anyone or because she felt like she had to. She was just someone who wanted to make sure she was always the best version of herself. As she got out of college and into adulthood, that drive only solidified when she took up gymnastics and trampolining. Trampolining is that Cirque du Soleil kind of thing where you do fancy flips down a long trampoline. According to BBC, she won national medals for it. Athletics were obviously something Hannah was naturally phenomenal at, so she spent a lot of time at the gym. It's no surprise that she met and fell in love with another fitness enthusiast named Rowan. Hannah was 20 when she met Rowan, but he was a decade older. He'd had some major life experiences, like a short stint in the National Rugby League, a pretty serious relationship, and even a son. Regardless of the different places they were in their lives, they were both ready to start the rest of their lives together. At the beginning of their relationship, Hannah's friends and family were hesitant but open-minded about this new older guy. From what he'd told them, he was a nice guy who'd been given the short end of the stick in life on more than one occasion, and he wasn't afraid to shed a tear about it. But hey, sometimes that happens, and maybe he was just okay with showing emotion. Hannah's family thought he was a decent guy, but according to ABC, they started hearing from Hannah less and less. This isn't super uncommon when a new relationship is blooming and two people are spending every waking moment they can together, but it went on for a while. Sure, they did see each other, but it wasn't what they were used to. As time went on, Hannah's family supported her and Rowan in every way they could, soaking up the time they did spend together, and within a few years, the two tied the knot. Hannah always wanted to be a mother, so children followed soon after. First came Aaliyah, then Liana, and finally Trey. With two girls and a boy, their family was complete. Hannah's children were her entire world, but fitness was still a huge part of both hers and Rowan's lives, so the two decided to open a gym together. They named it Integrate, and it was a hit. If you look online, you can see that their clients became their best friends. It's those friends who started to notice that something was off. Looking at Rowan's Facebook, you'd think he had the perfect life, that he was an incredible father who thought his wife hung the moon, but that's not what friends were seeing in real life. The way he spoke to Hannah was aggressive and made them uncomfortable. At one point, Hannah stopped wearing shorts to the gym and people started asking why. I mean, this is Australia and it doesn't really get cold. As it turns out, Rowan had told her that she wasn't allowed to wear shorts anymore. If she did, Nine News reports that he would accuse her of being flirtatious. The couple lived right next to the beach, but Hannah wasn't allowed to wear bathing suits anymore. She had to cover up. But while he wanted to hide her body from the world, claiming that showing it would be violating her commitment to him, behind closed doors, he would tear it down, saying things like, look at your stomach, it's disgusting. As time went on, Rowan tried to assert more and more control over Hannah. 
Her parents told the Daily Mail that if they ran into Hannah, Rowan, and the kids at the beach, Rowan would pack up everything and go to another beach, isolating her and the kids from her family. Eventually, he just stopped allowing them to go to the beach at all. Piece by piece, he was eliminating everything and everyone that made Hannah and the kids happy so that all they would have left was him. When he felt like he had complete control, he started demanding sex from Hannah every single night. The man who would tell her she was disgusting required sex on a daily basis, and if he didn't get it, he would give her the silent treatment for days. Hannah's friends were concerned for her and let her know that she was in an abusive relationship, but she didn't see it at the time because he wasn't hitting her. She didn't realize that domestic abuse isn't always physical. Once she realized that she was being abused and it was gradually getting worse, she tried to leave. From what I can gather, she tried to leave several times. ABC mentioned that one of those times, she went as far as to leave her vehicle in a public parking lot in case he was tracking her. In the end, Rowan would always turn on the waterworks, promising to change, saying all the right words until Hannah decided to give him another chance. After all, she felt like she knew who he was capable of being, and he was the father of her children. There's a quote from the book Eat, Pray, Love that I like to share whenever I get the chance. It says, I have fallen in love more times than I care to count with the highest potential of a man rather than with the man himself, and I have hung on to the relationship for a long time, sometimes far too long, waiting for the man to ascend to his own greatness. Rowan wasn't interested in ascending to his own greatness. He was only interested in preserving control over Hannah long enough to victimize her again. Which is why in November of 2019, Nine News reports that Hannah waited until Rowan went to work, called a friend, and the two of them packed up everything they could into garbage bags, and she and the kids headed to her friend's house. Rowan didn't know where this friend lived, so when he came home and realized they were gone, he wouldn't know where to find her. The friend told the station that that was one of the happiest days of their lives. Hannah's friends had been rooting for her all along, supporting her in her decisions, but letting her know that they were available whenever she was ready, and this time she was. This was it, she was out, and she was done with Rowan. She felt this overwhelming sense of relief. The sun was brighter, the air was thinner, and anything was possible. Rowan took to Facebook to air his poor little grievances to the world, and Hannah got some pretty harsh messages about it, but frankly, she was over it. They didn't know the real story, and what they had to say didn't mean a damn thing. Hannah posted to Instagram, I am a strong woman. I don't sit around feeling sorry for myself, nor will I ever let anyone mistreat me again. I don't respond to people who dictate to me or try to bring me down. I am a survivor, not a victim. I am in control of my life, and there is nothing I can't achieve. My girls will grow up to be strong women who understand their worth. She moved herself and the kids into her parents' house, which was close to the kids' school, and just breathed again. According to the Daily News, she texted one family member and said, I'm so glad I got out when I did. I'm safe. I'm with my parents who are very, very normal. I'm just so glad I got out when I did. 
Hannah was free. She could wear shorts. She could message her friends on Facebook without being accused of cheating. She could go to the beach and she could raise her kids in a healthy environment. I read a quote once that said, don't be with a man you wouldn't want your daughter to marry or your son to become. Hannah protected her kids from Rowan as much as she could, but without a court order in place yet, he still had legal rights to the children, but she was weary about letting them be alone with him. His rage and anger had escalated since she left, and she was worried he'd try to weaponize the children. And that's exactly what he did. Just after Christmas of 2019, Rowan came over wanting to get the kids. Hannah met him outside and allowed him to see them, but told him that they couldn't stay with him until they had a court order in place. Rowan wasn't going to let Hannah or the courts make any decisions for him, so according to the Daily News, he grabbed four-year-old Leanna off the street, threw her into his car, and drove off. Hannah was in complete shock just standing there with her other two children who had absolutely no idea what had happened. She called the police and was essentially told that there was nothing they could do because there was no court order. Which was complete bullshit because Rowan had clearly just kidnapped a child. Whether it was his child or not, he grabbed her off of the street from her mother. The police did wind up getting involved, and after four days, they found her with Rowan at one of his friend's house, 130 miles away. Hannah was in a horrible position. Somehow, he was still allowed access to the children, and they still hadn't had their hearing for custody, so Rowan still had rights. In an effort to have as little conflict as possible, she allowed Rowan to take the kids to his house for some time alone with their dad, just so long as he had them back before 9 p.m. But you know Rowan, he has to control every little thing he can, and by 9 p.m., there was no sign of them. He knew that he had just gotten in trouble for literally kidnapping one of his children. He knew the emotional anguish that being late would cause Hannah, but he didn't care. It was like he thrived on it. He finally brought the kids back 15 minutes late, and according to ABC, when Hannah was taking them out of the back seat, she saw photos of herself in her underwear. Rowan had literally put a six-year-old, four-year-old, and three-year-old into a back seat full of photos of their mother in her underwear for the sole purpose of them seeing it and Hannah knowing they did. She tried to grab all of them while she was back there, but while she was doing that, Rowan grabbed her wrist and twisted her arm behind her back, injuring her shoulder. His friend told the Daily Mail that before he left, Rowan told Hannah, don't do anything stupid. He knew that physically assaulting her might finally bar him from seeing the kids, but he genuinely thought that he had instilled enough fear into her that she wouldn't call the police. He was wrong. Rowan was charged with assault, and it looks like this is when Hannah was finally able to get her first temporary restraining order against him. This might sound like it's a major relief, but the back and forth of her restraining orders wound up being a giant cluster that Rowan gave absolutely zero fucks about. The Daily Mail posted a text that she had sent to her friend in January of 2020 that read, I have to go back to court and had to drop off an application to get the DVO conditions changed as he keeps turning up where I am. He got the DVO adjourned, and when they did that, they took off the no contact and made it just 100 meters from my home, so technically he's not doing anything wrong, hence why we need it changed. 
To summarize, her initial order barred him from contacting her at all and from being within 100 meters of her. Rowan got it changed so that he could have contact with her and didn't care about whether or not he could physically be near her. He was actively showing up and making sure she knew he was there. But how did he know where she was? He had to have been tracking her somehow. And on top of that, he would know about conversations that she'd had when he wasn't around. These restraining orders were nothing more than an inconvenient piece of paper to Rowan, and he violated his order later that month. Because of the violation, police asked for witnesses to make statements, and according to Nine Now, a friend of hers looked an officer in the eyes and told him, I think he's going to take them all out. Rowan had a court date scheduled for the 29th, but instead of taking him to jail or doing anything that would have physically protected Hannah from him, he was given another court date for April and allowed to go home. That being said, he could no longer be around Hannah nor the kids. At the very least, Hannah didn't have to worry about having to let the children go with him anymore. The courts wound up offering Hannah some domestic violence resources, which Nine Now reports connected her with a former police officer turned bodyguard who listened to Hannah's concerns, particularly the fact that she couldn't seem to get away from him. He felt like her phone had definitely been compromised and provided her with a new one. Even though Hannah felt supported by her family, the police, and the courts, she never truly felt safe. Rowan was unpredictable and volatile, and no one knew what his next move would be. Would he finally realize what he'd done to everyone in his life and stop, or would he just continue to escalate? Hannah started fearing the worst, and her mom told Nine News that Hannah asked if she should write up a will. She was worried about who would raise the kids if Rowan killed her and he went to jail. She wanted her parents to raise them if that ever happened. On Valentine's Day of 2020, Hannah noticed an abrupt change in Rowan's behavior. He called the kids hysterically crying over the fact that he couldn't see them anymore. This wasn't new. He had talked to his friends about how horrible Hannah was for keeping the kids from him, even though he had did that all on his own and had gotten angry about it, but all of a sudden he was sobbing. By the time he got off the phone, the Daily Mail reports that Hannah told her mom that she honestly felt bad for him. That might be something that a lot of people might not understand, but being a victim of domestic abuse is a psychological tornado. Abusers know exactly what to do to break down their victims, make them blame themselves, and even make them feel bad for the consequences their abuser has to face, which is exactly what Rowan was doing. Five days later, on the morning of February 19th, 2020, Hannah woke up like any other day, put on her favorite activewear, got the kids dressed and ready for school, and buckled up the kids in the car. She got in herself, and just as she was about to turn the car on, the passenger door opened. It was Rowan, and he had a knife and a gas can. Hannah screamed, but Rowan said that he wanted to see the kids, and according to ABC, told her to drive. She begged and pleaded for him to just get out of the car, but he wouldn't. As she was driving down the street, she noticed a man washing his car, so she pulled over and yelled at him to call the police. 
It was at that moment that Rowan emptied the gas can throughout the entire car, lit it on fire, and jumped out. It was if the car exploded and within seconds was completely engulfed in flames. It rolled down the street before crashing. As it rolled, a witness told the Daily Mail that Rowan chased after it, jumped inside, grabbed the knife, got back out, and stabbed himself in the chest. As he was dying, the Daily Mail reports that he actively tried to stop neighbors who were trying to get Hannah and the kids out. The man washing his car in the driveway rushed over and without even thinking, managed to get Hannah out. As she did, BBC News reports that she yelled, He's poured petrol on me. Save my children. A man working around the corner who heard the explosion rushed over to help and was actually able to get the back door open, but according to Nine News, it was completely engulfed. He couldn't save the children. The flames were so intense that a man five doors down told the station that it felt like he was standing extremely close to a campfire. The man who got Hannah out of the car was able to get her onto the ground so she could roll out the flames. When they were put out, she shocked everyone when she stood up. Hannah was severely burned on 97% of her body. The fire had burned through her clothes, and as much as I hate to even say this, her skin was falling off. Only adrenaline could explain how she was still alert, but she stood there as the neighbor used his hose to cool her burns while they waited for police, fire, and ambulance to arrive. According to ABC, the first thing she said when officers got to the scene was, My babies are in the car. My children are in the car. Why didn't I just stay in the car with them? As firefighters started showing up, the fire was so intense that they knew that no one in the car could have survived saying they stood no chance. Six-year-old Aaliyah, four-year-old Layana, and three-year-old Trey all died at the scene. Nine News reports that the scene was so horrific that first responders were immediately offered counseling. Hannah knew that Rowan had stabbed himself and was laying motionless near the car, but on the off chance that he survived, she wanted to make sure that the police knew exactly what he had done so that he could pay for it. ABC was able to get a transcript from the body cam footage, and in it, she let them know that she wasn't going to be able to stand much longer. She walked herself over to the EMS stretcher, and before she lost consciousness, told them exactly what had happened. Hannah was rushed to the hospital and sedated. Her last words were that she knew her children were dead and that she didn't want to survive. The staff did everything in their power to try and save her, but in the end, they couldn't. Hannah died just hours after the attack. BBC News reports that the only part of Hannah's body that wasn't burned were the soles of her feet, so before she passed, they got a footprint for her family to keep. This quadruple murder was actually a quadruple murder-suicide. Rowan had died from his self-inflicted stab wound at the scene. He could have stayed in the car before he jumped out the first time or stayed in it when he went back to get the knife, but he didn't. He wanted his death to be quick and painless, and he wanted Hannah and his children to suffer. Crime is in the news all day, every day, but this one was different. This was an act of pure evil against a woman who had done everything she could to protect her family from the man she feared. She had gone through every legal channel, but it was never enough. The statistics of domestic violence in Australia became headline news, and the numbers were terrifying. 
According to Nine News, in recent years, one woman is killed every week by a current or former partner. Every day, eight women are hospitalized by injuries inflicted by an intimate partner, and intimate partner violence is the leading cause of death, disability, and illness in Australian women between the ages of 15 and 44 years old. And that's just the cases they know about. The station reported that 8 in 10 women and 9 in 10 men do not contact the police. Following what happened to Hannah and her children, the CEO of Women's Legal Service Queensland told ABC that they'd gotten an influx of calls from women who were saying that their partners were telling them that they were going to do to them what Rowan did to his family. Something had to change, so Hannah's family started an organization called Small Steps for Hannah. The website states that they exist to halt the cycle of domestic violence and so that everyone can feel respected, informed, confident to act, and safe. It's called Small Steps for Hannah because the only thing they were able to get were the impressions of the soles on her feet, and to this day, that is the foundation's logo. As more information came out about how Rowan treated Hannah, people started coming forward with their own experiences with him in the past. Hannah's brother read a message from Rowan's 22-year-old son during an interview with Current Affair, and it read, His appalling parenting caused irreversible damage to my mental health. If I could take the place of Leana, Aaliyah, and Trey, I would in a heartbeat. One of Rowan's own cousins told Nine News that Rowan had a deep hatred for women and that he believed they served only two purposes, sex and cleaning adding that he had a string of mistresses and was texting hundreds of women throughout his marriage, something she had witnessed firsthand at a family barbecue. She said that she had reached out to Hannah after she'd left him, only to have Rowan stalk her as well. She said that he went as far as to leave dog shit outside of her front door. Another cousin spoke to a current affair and said that when she was young, she was put into foster care and placed into Rowan's home when he was a teenager. She said that while the rest of his family was perfectly nice, Rowan was angry, violent, and showed signs of animal cruelty. She didn't expand on the animal cruelty part. She said that he played violently, talked dirty to women, and was fucked in the head, saying he was like a psychopath. Wanting to know the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath, I did a little research. From what I found, it looks like psychopaths are born that way and sociopathic behavior is environmentally influenced. Crimes committed by sociopaths tend to be erratic, unplanned, and leave evidence behind, while crimes committed by psychopaths are usually planned meticulously. And Rowan's attack on his family was most definitely planned. During an inquest into the attack, ABC reports that investigators found CCTV footage of Rowan casually strolling down the aisles of a local hardware store and picking up that gas can and some zip ties. He also asked to borrow his aunt's car, which was out of the norm for him. On the morning of the attack, he filled up his gas tank, filled the gas can with a little more than a gallon of gas, and bought three Kinder Eggs, which are little chocolate candies. He also left a death note that read, You can't fuck with someone's life like this and just expect them to take it. I'm sorry, Hannah. I finished your game. I don't want to play anymore. I've told the kids that you loved them and they will miss you, I'm sure. Rowan had a plan, but with the new evidence of his purchases, it begs the question of just how many plans he had. Rowan had three kids and had bought three Kinder Eggs. 
He also bought zip ties but lit the car on fire and killed everyone. Was there a plan to restrain Hannah and take the kids? Was the car fire quadruple murder-suicide plan B? The inquest opened some questions that will never be answered, but it also revealed so much more. According to the Daily Mail, Rowan told a friend that he had threatened to kill his oldest son from a previous relationship. That when that relationship was ending, he said that if she left with his son, he would take him and not only kill himself, but his child too. Seven News reports that a friend of the couple said that Rowan told him that in reference to a previous relationship, he'd contemplated abduction at knife point, that he had a rope in his car at the time and was going to take them out somewhere and end it all, including himself. The friend also remembered a road rage incident where Rowan attacked a man on a bicycle and just left him lying there. Testimony from friends kept coming in, and according to ABC, Rowan told one of them that he had, in fact, been listening to Hannah's conversations. He'd put an old cell phone in her car so he could hear what was going on, including one conversation where she called him a narcissist. The friend said that Rowan even went as far as to spy on Hannah from a tree. Friends had offered to pay for Rowan to get some kind of psychological counseling, one of them even giving him $2,000. But according to the outlet, no one really knows if he actually received the care. Rowan did, however, reach out to his pastor. When Hannah left him, he went to him crying, saying he was trying to change his life to get Hannah back, but the pastor wasn't buying it. He didn't feel like Rowan was being genuine at all, and that he was just putting on a show for his own selfish gain. The evening before the murders, Rowan made one last attempt to paint himself as the victim. ABC reports that he called a men's helpline and told the person on the other end that he felt like he'd been put through the ringer, that his wife had left him for another guy at the gym, which is bullshit, and that he felt like he was in a game where his wife was trying to get him to violate his restraining order, a restraining order that he said wasn't his fault that when the police showed up to the assault, it was Hannah they had to take off of him, but he was the one who had the domestic violence order put against him. He told the operator that the entire situation was very scary and that he never thought Hannah was capable of doing these things. It was almost as if Rowan was mimicking Hannah's responses to his actions and playing them off as his own to a stranger on the end of a men's helpline who didn't know him from shit. He did all of this after purchasing a gas can, zip ties, and asking to borrow his aunt's car, and less than a day before he set his entire family on fire. Towards the end of the inquiry, ABC reported that according to officials, Rowan showed 29 out of 39 lethality factors. They're factors associated with increased risk for lethal violence in domestic partnerships. I found the full list on the Daily Mail via the Ontario Domestic Violence Death Review Committee, and while it's lengthy, I feel like it's important to include all 39 of them because someone somewhere needs to hear them. So here we go. History of violence outside of the family by perpetrator. History of domestic violence. Prior threats to kill victim. Prior threats with a weapon. Prior assault with a weapon. Prior threats to commit suicide by perpetrator. Prior suicide attempts by perpetrator. Prior attempts to isolate the victim. 
controlled most or all of victims' daily activities, prior hostage-taking and or forcible confinement, prior forced sexual acts and or assaults during sex, child custody or access disputes, prior destruction or deprivation of victims' property, prior violence against family pets, prior assault on victim while pregnant, choked, strangled victim in the past, perpetrator was abused and or witnessed domestic violence as a child, escalation of violence, obsessive behavior displayed by perpetrator, perpetrator unemployed, victim and perpetrator living common law, presence of stepchildren in the home, extreme minimization and or denial of spousal assault history, actual or pending separation, excessive alcohol and or drug use by perpetrator, depression in the opinion of family friend acquaintance of perpetrator, depression professionally diagnosed of perpetrator, other mental health or psychiatric problems of perpetrator, access to or possession of any firearms, new partner in victim's life, failure to comply with authority via perpetrator, perpetrator exposed to or witnessed suicidal behavior in family of origin, after risk assessment, perpetrator had access to victim, youth of couple, sexual jealousy via perpetrator, misogynistic attitudes via perpetrator, age disparity of couple, victim's intuitive sense of fear of the perpetrator, and perpetrator threatened and or harmed children. Rowan displayed 74% of those lethality factors. Since Hannah's death, Australia has been on a mission to combat domestic violence throughout the entire country. At a public memorial, ABC reports that the mayor himself acknowledged that the system had failed to protect Hannah and her children, saying in no uncertain terms, we have let them down and we are so, so sorry. We weep for them and the evil that took their lives. Her brother stated that the system isn't designed for people like Rowan, people who don't care about the rules, who feed off of control and fear, and who have no regard for the restrictions on a piece of paper or the consequences of disregarding them. Marie Claire made Hannah one of Australia's Women of the Year for her bravery and for bringing attention to lesser-known forms of domestic abuse like coercive control. This was such an important message to send because domestic abuse is not always violent. Just because you're not being physically abused does not mean that you are not being abused. Healthline has a phenomenal breakdown of signs of coercive control, which include isolation, monitoring activity, denying freedom or autonomy, gaslighting, name-calling and insults, limiting access to money, reinforcing traditional gender roles, for example, saying that the female in the relationship has to do all of the cooking and cleaning because that's not his job as a man. More examples listed were weaponizing children, turning them against you or using them to hurt you, controlling aspects of your health and body, making jealous accusations, regulating your sexual relationship, and threatening your children or pets. I will repeat, not all domestic abuse is violent, period. Abuse is abuse, and according to DomesticShelters.org, it almost always escalates. Hannah's family has made it their mission to educate Australia and the world on coercive abuse, even getting the ball rolling on legislation that would create a task force that would consult on coercive control in the hopes to better protect victims. To find out more about Small Steps for Hannah and how you can help, go to smallsteps4hannah.com.au. To everyone listening, if you're being abused, you are not alone and there is help available. You can contact the hotline 24-7 at thehotline.org. 
As soon as you enter the site, they give you instructions on how to quickly leave. They offer 24-7 assistance via phone at 1-800-799-SAFE, via chat on their website, and even via text. Just text START to 88788. Abuse is not always violence. Abuse is never okay, and you are never alone. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Hannah's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.